Thank you for listening to the Divine Nobodies Podcast with Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe so you never miss a show. If you're on Instagram, please follow us at Divine Nobodies Podcast and join our ever-growing community of lightworkers and spiritual visionaries. Together, we can raise the frequency of our planet and bring in a new era of awakening and understanding. Welcome to our tribe. And now your hosts, Eric Ajna and Jennifer Lynn. We're doing in Divine Nobody's podcast. How you doing, Jen? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good. You know what? Sometimes before we're getting ready for the podcast, I go and I turn at you and you're doing this like Clint Eastwood gaze into the distance. Yeah. You got this like yeah. strong warrior goddess gaze in the distance. And sometimes I wonder like, what is it that she's really, what she's thinking about? I was actually just thinking about, um, I was listening to our intro. I love the intro. Her voice is so cute. <laughs> that was literally I know, right? what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. She seems like such like a nice lady. She's always got candy yeah. on her. I was yeah, like chewing gum, always. you know what I mean? <laughs> She's always like making social media posts and like uh, creating positive affirmations to post to her wall like every single day. She's like somebody that lives a pretty optimistic life. Yeah, 100%. You know what I mean? I like her. I think so. But I can really relate. Cute. I can relate to the gaze though, Jen. Sometimes you just have to take a moment, especially during golden hour when the sun's starting to set and you just like take that little opportunity to sit with yourself in nature and stare off into the distance and just ponder, ponder life. Yeah. You know? Or ponder how old you are, which was um, <laughs> thrown in my face this past weekend at Big Wild. <laughs> what? Oh, how old are you? Oh, that's right. You went yeah. to a Big Wild show. What happened? Yeah. And it was so much fun, but it was like the uh, cast of Euphoria uh, was the no. crowd. Everybody there yeah. was 18. Like I, I would be shocked if there was anybody, you know, that was over 30 there other than us. Oh, really? And, oh yeah. And it was at Red Rocks and Red Rocks is super, super beautiful. And, oh, yeah. you know, the, like the sounds bounce off the rocks and it's just yeah. like, it's awesome. It's like going to a concert in a cave. Mm. So long short of the story, um, a friend of ours, he had his teenage son and his friends go save us some seats. So, yeah. um, uh, and of course we paid them to save us seats cause we're old, right? We're not going to sit out there from three o'clock in the afternoon until 10 o'clock at night, whenever the show yeah, starts to, to save our seats. Yeah. We had shit to do. So <laughs> long short of the story, we get there and we sit in our, uh, we come up and then, um, the kids leave and we exchange the seats and all of the kids behind us hated us. So, oh. <laughs> Why? Is it because you guys were tall and they were short or what? No, no. Uh, just because we didn't wait there for the seats that we showed up, you know, right when the concert oh, yeah. started and, you know, had second row. And um, so we explained to them like, hey, no, these are our kids and we're, you know, <laughs> we paid them to hold our seats yeah. in X, Y, and Z. So uh, a little girl in front of me turns around and she goes, you know, I think it's really cool that you're here at this concert and you like this type <laughs> of music. And I was like, my, my little heart was crushed. I was like, what? what do you Wait, mean? what do you think she meant by that? <laughs> what do you think she meant by that? Because I can see two potential reasons for that. She, what she meant is you're too old to be here. And I'm really shocked that you like the kind of music that I like because you're oh. 25 years older than me. <laughs> I don't know, Jen. Well, first of all, you look young. I don't care what anybody says. You look young. You look like... Well, somebody thanks. that would be her age. But at the same time, she could have also just, you know, chummed up a conversation with you and you had good energy. And she was like, you know, you're cool. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're here watching this show. Oh, no. We we were not speaking at all. She just turned around. Yeah. She was watching us and then just said that. Um, so in what way did she say it? Did yeah. she give you sort of like a, I'm glad you guys are here. 
with all these young people. You no, know what I mean? it was, it was, it was like, like she meant anyway. it as a compliment. You know, when somebody says like, oh, you look good for your age, you know, that's yeah. meant to be a compliment, but it's kind of like a passive aggressive backhanded compliment, Yeah, you know? And then considering yeah. her age, she probably didn't even realize that was sort of a backhanded compliment. Oh yeah, probably not. I mean, she was like 18 years old. For sure. You know what? If I'm, when I'm 40, 50 years old, I I hope that I'd still be going to shows like that. You know what I mean? And I feel like nowadays it's a lot more socially acceptable to attend shows like that. You know? You think so? I I think so. I think so. I'm going to be going to those types of shows for a long time, even down to festivals. And there's really that sort of idea of there needing to be like a, you know, the proper age for somebody to go to events like that. I don't know. I think those, I think that's old news. You know, I'm kind of taking Gary Vaynerchuk's sort of uh, perspective on, you know, 40s, the new 30, you know, and I think uh, oh, yeah. the sort of acceleration of technology and social media and people's ability to extend, you know, the duration of their life. People, I imagine, are living a little longer, but also like aging emotionally, maybe a little slower. People are a little bit more playful now. And I think that may have, maybe has something to do with people aren't taking life as seriously as they did back in the sort of nuclear family era. Yeah. I mean, people aren't getting uh, married and starting families at, you know, 21 years old anymore either. People are waiting a lot longer. And I think whenever yeah. you have a family to support and take care of and you're married, uh, I don't know, it just kind of forces you to grow up. Yeah. And considering it's not, it's not, I mean, real talk, it's not financially sort of viable for people to even have kids right now. Right. It's so not. a lot of people are sort of bypassing that process, getting themselves some cats or some dogs. And, uh, incidentally, they're end up, they're, they're able to attend events like that. Otherwise, if they had children, they'd be at home with the kids. And I imagine somewhere in the Midwest they do that, but you know, here in the Western States, um, I think you see a little bit more of like those people flying it solo without kids. Oh, for sure. It's not right now. It's not even financially viable to run your AC. I mean, it's like everything is so expensive. I know. It's crazy. You know what? I was in the store the other day. This is actually a really interesting story. And not a lot of people would have picked this up, but I picked it up for whatever reason because I tend to somehow catch on to certain things like this. I was in a store. I saw a guy standing in a grocery aisle for like 20 minutes trying to figure out what kind of beef jerky he wanted. (laughs) Can you believe this shit? And the only reason why I knew this is because I was walking around. I had like a list of things that I wanted. I typically don't like to spend too much time in the store, but I kept passing by him. And every single time I'd pass by him, he was in the exact same spot. His head was sort of tilted up a little bit. And you see like his little beady eyes moving from the left and to the right. And he just couldn't figure out which one he wanted. And I just thought to myself like, wow, that's the type of world that we live in where we have to like really, really sit and think about what type of food or beef jerky that we want. Like, I wonder what's going through his mind when he's sitting there trying to figure that out. I can tell you what's going through his mind. I look at the packages of beef jerky to see which ones (laughs) look soft and which ones look like they're going to be hard. And then I look at the price because beef jerky is really expensive. And then, um, and then the flavor, like, do I want peppercorn? Do I want teriyaki? Do I want oh my original? Gosh, you're one of them, Jen. You're one of them. Yes, I am. A but beef for 15, 20 minutes, I don't know. I can't justify oh, yeah. that. You would sit yeah. there for 10 or 15 minutes with your, like, your eyes no, all but wide. But I'll stand there for five and I'll read the packages and I'll try to decide which one looks like it's going to be the best. I don't know. I took it to a completely different direction. I was thinking to myself, like, <laughs> man, people's inability or, or fear of wanting or of not wanting to make the right, uh, people's fear of making the wrong decision. Like this guy was trying to decide what kind of beef jerky he wanted, like his entire life depended on it. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. was what he was going to eat for the entire week. And I just thought to myself, like, man, you can see the, you can see the gears going. And I thought it was really interesting because we tend to kind of pull the same sort of practice when it comes to lots of things in life that we have difficulty making decisions for. And it even mm-hmm. can come down to the smallest, most insignificant thing. Yeah, It's crazy. If you think your life is hard, always remember... 
always remember, kids, there's some dude standing in a grocery store for 20 minutes trying to figure out what kind of beef jerky he wants to buy. <laughs> you know, so choose wisely. But don't afraid That's to right. be wrong, you know? Don't afraid, don't afraid to, make, to, be, to make the wrong decision. The, the first decision is usually always the best one. So you know what? You always, you always got to be learning wherever you go. And that was just one of those things I observed. I just thought it was crazy, you know, how, how deeply the mind can interfere with the really seemingly simple process. You know, and when it comes to things like beef jerky, I think beef jerky is delicious. I know that you are, are a vegetarian, so you don't. But, oh man, you know, it's kind of like pizza or sex, like... Even the worst sex you've ever had was still just fine. And that's, that's true. How I feel. That's how I feel that's about like, beef jerky. That's like pizza too. It's going to be all right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be all right. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what kind of pizza it is. It's all good. You know what I mean? So Jen, I started, um, I started making organite pyramids again. I thought I'd let you know because it's one you of those did. things that had been out of, uh, out of order for a while. I want one. Out of commission for a while. You want one? Yeah. Yeah. I so I, I, somebody commissioned me to do one. And of course, the way that I approach it is I, I always kind of sit with them. Uh, but this one is actually um, a birthday gift. But typically when I make organite pyramids, it, it can be like a really intimate thing, especially because crystals are involved. I'll usually do like a reading. I'll do a card reading if they don't know what they want. And the card reader will more or less determine what type of crystals that I'll put in, in the organite. So if anybody's not familiar with organite, I'll just go over really, really quickly what it is. So in the 1930s, there was a form of energy that was noticed by an Australian psychoanalyst called Dr. William Reich. And he was actually, I didn't know this until later, but he was a student of Sigmund Freud, who we all know who he is. And uh, he, named, he coined this name called organ energy. It can also kind of be considered chi or prana, how we in the sort of new age world look at energy. He called organ. And uh, I guess his research revealed that organic materials will draw in and capture organ energy and non-organic materials will simultaneously draw and repel that energy. So his whole process was about taking negative energy. It could be negative frequencies that are in the air, negative EMF waves and things like that, and retransmuting them to be positive organ energy. And so it's basically this whole alchemy of transforming negative into a positive. And this guy created something that was called an organ chamber. And it was a six-sided box constructed of alternating layers of organic materials to attract the energy and then metallic materials to radiate the energy towards the center of the box. And he had patients that had cancer, different type of ailments. And he believed that if you sat in this organ chamber for an extended period of time, it would rebalance out the energy centers in your body. And uh, he believed that it was able to successfully sort of cure people of ailments and these type of conditions. I'll and something that. weird happened is that uh, I, I guess the FBI raided his home and took all of his shit. And then they coined it off as a pseudoscience and sort of his work got lost in the shuffle. But it wasn't until later on in like the early, I want to say early 2000s, that there was a couple by the name of Don Carroll Croft, and they wanted to use the same sort of concept of organite by introducing crystals, mm -hmm. right? So this added like another added layer of uh, transmutation of this energy. And uh got into the realm of the etheric. And so I was really inspired by this. Uh, organites are said to help eliminate electromagnetic frequencies in the air, improve health, relieve stress. You know, it can assist with a lot of different things. So I want to be a team player in that. And I, I decided that I wanted to learn how to do it. I ended up starting to make them in 2012. And that's when I started pouring the, the resin and things like that. So I started making these organites. And uh, ever since then, it's been like a really cool thing. You know, you can use things like black tourmaline or obsidian if you want to create organite around protection and things like that. And uh, I started an Etsy store a while back where I started selling them and it grew so fast. 
I had like metaphysical shops overseas that were wanting me to create these Organite pyramids for their stores. And I'll be honest with you, it was kind of overwhelming because the way that I approach making Organite isn't in a mass produced type of way. I'm more of like somebody that will only make it if I feel inspired to do it. And so it was going well for a long time, but I got kind of burnt out on it. So I stopped making it for a while. So I started making them again. But the one thing that I thought was really cool is when I was selling them on Etsy, uh, a lot of people would send me pictures of where they put it or tell me what they were going to do with them. And uh, there was some, like a woman in New Zealand that said that she would leave them out in the fields in New Zealand. Uh, there's some woman that lived in Hong Kong and she like took a picture of it with like the city of Hong Kong in the background. So it's like this this Ooh, idea cool. of creating this sort of mini crystal grid around the planet oh, of wow. all these How different cool. organized pyramids that I've made. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's really cool. I I remember you making um, Organite back in the day, and I was just about to ask if you reopened your Etsy store. Are you going to, you haven't opened it yet? I haven't opened it yet, but right now I'm going to focus on the commissioned ones because I know a lot of people that would want them, you included. So Mm -hmm. I'm going to like work on those and uh, get a feel for how my style has changed since I stopped making them. Mm-hmm. And if anybody that's interested, if you want to see some of my organite, you could actually go on my uh, personal IG, which a lot of people that do follow the podcast also follow my personal IG under Eric Ajna. You can find pictures of my organite pyramids there. And if you guys like them, hit me up. Aww. I can make one specifically for you. This wasn't a plug, but just letting you know, because uh, it's been uh, really inspiring for me because I made this one for this fellow. It was his birthday. And uh, I'm always surprised at how they come out because you never know how they're going to come out until you pop them out of the mold. Mm-hmm. And when you pop them out, it's like you're seeing this birth of this this thing. And uh, the thing that I didn't really do a whole lot of back in the day is I would never keep any for myself. Every piece that I ever made, I'd always give to somebody or I'd sell it. So I want to focus on making some pieces that I like, can be really proud of that I can just keep in my own personal stash. I love that. Yeah. You got to make something for yourself. Got to make something yeah, for yourself. I think it's really beautiful. You make some of the most beautiful or beautiful organite pyramids I've ever seen. Really, Jen? Because I've seen like different ones online and, you know, have ordered different ones and the acrylic isn't super clear or there's bubbles in it or they don't put real crystals in it. It's like some bullshit plastic from China. Yeah, yeah that's true. I've been seeing thing. a lot of those now. And if you go on Etsy, unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's what makes up a bulk, the bulk of them. People that mass produce them and they use cheap materials. But mm-hmm. uh, there's two types of Organite that you can really find. Is is I, I respect the people that want to make Organite for the sheer functionality of it. Like if you look at an Organite pyramid, like traditional, how, they, how it looks, it doesn't really look like anything all that beautiful. Because more often than not, they're placing them under these... Uh, cell phone towers or they're placing them in like an area of their house that's inconspicuous. But then there are this other group of people that made Gorgonite for their home and to use it as a part of like their altar. So those ones tend to be a little bit more beautiful. So there's such a large range of how people make them. And I wanted to try and integrate the whole classic method, but also make something really beautiful, you know? Yeah. We have like a big power plant really close to our house. So I need a organite pyramid that has some like EMF blocker. All right. You got it. We're doing, we're doing God's work now. This isn't just about organite. We're saving the world with this shit because that's got to stop. That (laughs) has got to stop, Jen. Whatever's happened at that little plant across the way, that has got to stop. Right? <laughs> All right, you guys. Thank you guys for for joining us today. We're going to dive into something a little, I want to say fun, but but fun in the sense that I think a lot of people can relate to this because uh, if you've been in a relationship, it doesn't even have to be with a significant other. It can be with a friend. It could be with your family. It could be with your dog. Well, I don't know. I don't know if it can be for your dog, but we're going to be talking about common phrases to avoid in relationships. Common phrases to avoid in relationships. Oh, oh, by golly, Jen, I think I've probably said all of them at some point in my life. Yeah, I, I know I have too. And there's one that I say all the time when we get to it. I'm going to call it out. 
Oh, you have one that you still say, Jen? Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I want to know about that And it's that on one. the list. And I was like, oh man. Oh. And this is the thing, right? Relationships are an ongoing practice for everybody, every single person. There isn't one person out there that's mastered the art of relationships because human beings are complex. We're always changing. We're always growing. And we're also on this little planet called Earth in a life that doesn't always work in our favor. So we're always being subject to lots of different things that can make an impact on our relationship, make an impact on how we behave in relationships. And thus, sometimes we fall into conflict with our partners and we end up saying some shit that we don't mean, right? <laughs> so right. Uh, we wanted to dive into just going over some uh, common phrases to avoid in relationships, things that we should be really conscious of. And I think for the most part, if we're on the spiritual journey, or if anybody's listening to this podcast, I think to some degree, we probably try and practice some mindfulness and to be conscious of the things that we say to others because we realize how detrimental it is for the safety and the health of our relationships. So we wanted to go over some common phrases to avoid, uh, maybe some of, our experience, some of our experiences with these things, and how we can sort of switch the phrases to, uh, I want to say, just communicate it in a better way. Because everybody says these things in response to emotions that they're trying to express to their partner, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't always, right. especially when we feel triggered, we don't always say those things in the way that we really want to say them. We say crazy, crazy shit, right? So see if we can change that narrative a little bit and uh, find and explore different ways that we could speak to our partners in a way that's a little bit more constructive, right? Right. You ever said a lot of stuff that you didn't, that you, that you didn't mean to say, but you said it anyways, Jen? Oh my God, I do it all the time. <laughs> I get like yeah. diarrhea of the mouth and I just start talking. And then as soon as it comes out of my mouth, it happens on the podcast all the time too. And I'm uh, very grateful for your editing skills because I know I say some crazy <laughs> shit. I'm like, Jen, you can't say that. You can't say that. <laughs> like, Jen, can't you, did you realize we're doing a podcast, right? No, it's not. It's not like that, but you know, it happens. It happens in a podcast. It does happen. Yeah. You know, sometimes, especially for me and like, I, I, I like to speak my thoughts out sometimes. And mm -hmm. the issue that I have sometimes is that the other person doesn't always know that I'm kind of talking to myself. They think yeah. that the words that I'm saying are directed towards them. And so yeah. sometimes I inadvertently end up saying something that I don't mean because I'm I'm talking out my feelings or I'm talking out loud, you know, yeah. but at the I'll, same I'll time, I'm also like, human. Yeah. hundred percent. I'll talk because I don't have a complete thought. I just have the beginning of a thought and I'll start talking it through. And then, you know, sometimes communication there gets wonky. And sometimes it's something that maybe I shouldn't have said out loud and I should have just left as a thought, you know? Yeah. And we all say those things, you know? There's so many things we have to pay attention to in life and it can be really difficult sometimes to, to be always conscious of the things that we say. You know, Don Miguel mm -hmm. Ruiz says, be impeccable with your words. And, you know, as simple of a statement that is, it can be really difficult sometimes because, you know, everybody is so different in how they give and receive information. Right. You have relationships that mm -hmm. thrive off of sarcasm, right? right? You have relationships that thrive off of poking fun and, uh, you know, playing with each other. And it's really important when you're with your partner that you share that sort of agreement so that the words that you share aren't misinterpreted. You know, right. there are some couples that are more old fashioned and they like the whole, you know, speaking to each other in a more conventional way. And you have some relationships that sort of push the boundaries of what you can get away with. Some people see it as a game. So what I'm just trying to say is that everybody's so different. That's the reason why it's so hard sometimes to always say the right thing because you have your own sort of unit that you have at home. But if you're somebody that has a job and works out in the real world, you're surrounded by people you don't really know. And all those people aren't always exactly like you. So if you're having a meeting with somebody at work, we always find ourselves having to address our, adjust our personality in the best way as to kind of play it safe with people that we don't know. But sometimes we end up saying stuff we don't mean. 
Do you ever go through that in your position? I mean, you're in a position where you kind of deal with lots of people. Do you ever have situations where you witness people saying crazy stuff? Are you doing it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I have over the years become a lot more mindful of the things that I say. And especially as I like started getting promoted and was in a leadership role and, you know, managing other people. When you manage other people, you especially can't say anything. You have to become a very, very good listener um, because people are only coming to their manager whenever they have a problem, right? So it's always like a crisis or some type of de-escalation. And I found that the best thing to do is not offer advice, not try to fix it, just listen. And then... um, and then talk through what their goal is and what they're trying to achieve, right? Like, yeah. okay, well, we have this problem. So if you had a, a magic wand, what would make this better? Like what would be perfect in your mind? And then I'm able to kind of better understand what they're looking for. And yeah. sometimes I'm surprised. Sometimes I'll listen to someone talk and I think that their problem is A, but their problem's not A, it's really B. It's like expected that we'll run into kind of semi-uncomfortable conversations because, you know, people also need to set their boundaries around what it is that they are able to accept as far as your communication. I'm talking like in relationships. And at mm-hmm. the same time, like we will say things that we don't mean. And it's always good to, to be able to have a conversation with someone that's understanding and that isn't too reactive. And uh, you can create a safe space where you can like really articulate how you feel so that you're not misunderstood. My issue that I used to have uh, for a long time is I would say things out of a type of anxiety or a type of nervousness, especially when it involved being mm-hmm. in front of people I wasn't comfortable with or in large groups. Right. And so I would yeah. stumble upon my words and I end up saying something stupid, you know, and uh, yeah. I don't have that. Everybody's I still done have that, that issue every once in a while. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely on a date where it matters the most, Jen. Where it matters the most. Because you only get one shot with, with the dates these days, especially on Tinder. They'll ghost your ass. But That's right. you got to be really, really careful. You got to be on your best behavior. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting because everybody has their own sort of form of triggers, even if they don't know you. It's like this instinctual response people have that when you're meeting somebody for the first time or you're talking to a partner, you say the wrong thing. You don't even know that you're saying the wrong thing. And we'll get an instinctual sort of reactive response that can sometimes come across as being angry or upset, you know? Right. And um, everybody kind of has these. So I think it's learning how to communicate with the people that are in our life, making the adjustment where necessary, which the adjustment is going to happen because everybody's so different. And um, like learning how to communicate. But as it pertains to this conversation, we're going to be talking about how this whole thing flies in relationships to people. And uh, the relationships are always the best one to focus on because a lot of the most powerful work that we experience in life, as far as the whole spiritual evolution piece happens in our relationships, because relationships test us in ways that other things can't. And especially if uh, we have partners, we're likely either living with them or we spend a lot of time with them. We spend more time with our partners or significant others or people in our family more than anybody else. And those people get to know everything about you, right? And because they get to know everything about you, they know how to make you happy. But at the same time, they sure know how to deliberately piss you off because they know what your triggers are. (laughs) Exactly. And so- Uh Yeah. So we all develop our own process with our partners. So common phrases to avoid in relationships. I would just always stay with one of the ones that, uh, mind you, all of these ones that we're going to go over, uh, I'll admit I've done all of these in, in relationships I've gone through in the past and I've learned a lot from making these types of mistakes. And um, my hope is that, of course, if you continue saying these things that you'll learn in just the same way. But uh, realistically, though, I think if we're human, we're going to fall into saying these things every once in a while. But just be careful, be mindful. So you always or you never, Jen. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you ever, yeah, ever that, said you, that you always was, or you never? Yeah. 
that was on every single list of uh, whenever I was researching this topic, every single list that popped up on common phrases to avoid that was on, on it. Really? And yeah. And I can see why, you know, you always are, you never like that is automatic accusatory fighting words. Like there's nothing positive that's coming from that. And you're not looking to elicit some type of positive response whenever you say that, right? No, it's it's totally it's totally true. Yeah, it seems like there's a reflex because there's there's always is sort of like a common reflex when it feels like our partner is continuously doing something wrong or that hurts our feelings. Like you said, it sounds accusatory, but the the thing that I about using always and never is it's this um, every argument that somebody goes through in a relationship is always about a very specific thing. It usually starts that way, right? He didn't do the dishes or he didn't wash, he didn't wash the dishes or take out the trash, something like that. And it starts with a specific thing. When you venture into the realm of using, you always do this. You're reaching into the past. Like you're reaching really far into the past. And it's almost like you're speaking to them that you have a log of information. And mm-hmm. that information contains all the things that you've ever done that are kind of like this one thing, like not emptying the trash. And it almost shows in a lot of ways that you're not forgiving them for those things because you're bringing them into your moment. And it's comprised of this statement, this conclusive statement that says, you always do this. That implies more than one. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah. it's a really dangerous place to go because all of a sudden you're talking about a specific thing to more often than not, these conversations go into the past. And all of a sudden you guys are talking about things that you argued about a month ago, six months ago, a year ago. And you know, that be, that can be a really dark place that, to go, you know? especially when the whole goal in life is to live in the present moment. And every time oh. you say you always, you're like, just like you said, you're going back to the past and you're living your life in the past and yeah. nothing good comes out of that. And that blocks all your blessings and all of your manifestations whenever you transport yourself back to the past. Yeah. You always, and you never, more often than not, is not generated by true feelings. It's a, it's a triggered response, right? If you, mm-hmm. you, you can replace always or never with fear. These are the types of things that the ego says when it feels triggered, right? These are things that fear says. When we use conclusive phrases like this in a discussion, I notice that we tend to fall into black or white sort of polarity thinking. We lose sight of the fact that there's a gray zone. And that gray zone is the specifics that initiated the conversation. The black or white thinking is classifying your partner as entirely bad because of this and judging all of his sort of collective experience in doing these things put you in a really, really bad situation with your partner. It tends mm-hmm. to open up the discussion to past situations with which really have no place in a conversation. This is one thing that we're probably going to stress about through this entire podcast today is that the past situations are, at least to me, what cause a lot of problems in uh, arguments with people, right? Mm-hmm. When they don't stick to just the, the task at hand or the argument at hand, they go into the past and all of a sudden you're revisiting old traumas, you're revisiting old arguments. Mm-hmm. And uh, those things have no place in the conversation because just like you said, living in the present moment is where you are. You're not mm-hmm. in those situations anymore. So it's important to, if you love your partner, to forgive them for anything that they had done in the past within reason, of course, and just focus and never losing sight of the fact that in this moment, maybe they did do something wrong, but don't tell them that they always or that they never do it, never do mm-hmm. something. You know what right. I mean? And because that's also not true. <laughs> you know, like even if somebody does something more than once, maybe they do it twice, three times. It's not always. Always means, you know, always, every day. You know, every time they they do this task, they always do this. So yeah. you yeah, just got to really, be careful. Really important to understand the context. It can even be something really innocent too. 
Like, for example, mm-hmm. I always think of this one because I think I've heard this before where a woman says to her partner, like, you never take me out anymore. And the man responds with, I took you out like last week, right? Right. That is innocence, innocent in the sense that he's thinking rationally and practical about it. She's trying to convey a feeling. She's trying to right. convey an emotion, yep. right? Mm-hmm. So he's, if he's like, oh, yeah, I, I took you out last week. And she's like saying, oh, you never take me out. She's trying to tell you that she doesn't feel loved or seen in that she mm-hmm. wants to feel more of that through the act of maybe going out. So there's a diff, there's yeah. like a nuance in there that you got to pay attention to. That's an innocent thing, but you know that is also something that involves communication and understanding your partner. So don't lose sight of the reason for the argument and focus only on what is true in the moment and how you feel pertaining to that situation. And another way of looking at this too would be you know focus on what your partner does right and talk about what you love about them, how can, how they can use their positive qualities in order to overcome whatever negative situation you happen to be in. And I'm probably going to say that more than once on this one, on uh, this podcast, but the type of growth mentality, right, Jen? Yeah, that's right. So don't don't, don't say you always or you never. Focus on the specifics of your conversation. Don't tread back. Don't go into the past. You don't need to go back. There's nothing there for you, you know? That's right. Okay, so the next one I have here. What's that? I was going to comment on the next one. Oh, yeah, go ahead. the next one (laughs) is my, my phrase that I say all the time. And I didn't even realize how dismissive and uninterested I sounded, but the word is whatever. So even if you're talking to a partner about picking out a place to eat and your response is, oh, whatever, it comes across <laughs> as being dismissive, like you're not interested in going to eat with them or being engaged in a conversation um, that you're just putting no effort or thought into it at all. And oh. um, I say whatever because I really don't care. It doesn't matter to me. But I was like, I was like, oh man, well, I guess that is dismissive. So that's certainly something I'm going to have to work on. Has somebody brought that up as an issue to you before, Jen? No, he's never brought it up, but it it was on a list. And I was like, oh man. I don't know. I have some feelings about this one. I have some feelings about the ones. Well, you can go a step further. Like it's one thing for someone to say whatever, but have you ever had somebody come up to you and say, whatevs? I think whatevs is different because it's cutesy. It's like it's cute. That, yeah, it's cutesy. It's not like eh, whatever. Whatevs. It's like no, that's eh, like what saying ifs. like you you don't care enough to say the entire word, Jen. Like, whatevs. <laughs> whatevs. It's just it's like that that tired Los Angeles sort of response. It's like whatevs. But you know, like whatever. I, I think this is one of those ones that like it really depends on who your partner is, right? Like what type of agreement yeah. you guys have or what type of relationship you guys have. Because if somebody, you know, if my partner wants to go out to eat. I'm like, whatever. And she's like, well, where do you feel like going? I'm like, whatever. I don't think she's going to interpret that or she doesn't interpret that as a negative thing. But if you're on like a, maybe like a, a date with somebody and they're like, hey, would you like to do this? And they're like, whatever. Oh, that's a little different. <laughs> yeah. I think the things. tone has a lot to do with it too. You know, the yeah. uh, the way your face looks and the and the tone. So if you naturally have a resting bitch face, <laughs> maybe stay away from whatever. Yeah. But if you just have this sunny disposition and you're like, oh, whatever then I think that's perceived a little differently. Oh my gosh. What if you responded to Jeremy and asked you a question and instead of just saying whatever, you put like the little W fingers on your forehead and were like, whatever. <laughs> Remember that shit? Oh, that's so, that's so nineties. I love it. Pull the whole like clueless vibe on him. I wonder oh, how he'd feel about so that good. one. I wonder if anybody's ever experienced that before, but that one's, that one's good. That one, I don't feel is like a make it or break it scenario. But when you're in a fight though, like if you're in a fight in like in a, in, in a really heated argument and you're like, She's telling you how she feels. He's telling you how he feels. And you're just like, whatever. And you just walk off. Yeah. 
that's that's not a good that's not a good way to end an argument. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you gotta be really careful about that one. Okay, so I'm sorry that you feel that way, Jen. <laughs> this is okay. So this is kind of revisiting those uh passive aggressive uh phrases right. and I'm sorry you feel that way is not an apology. That's not how you it's start not. an apology and it's not right. perceived as an apology. It's perceived as like uh you hurt me so I feel justified in hurting you. And right. there you go. There you have it. Yeah. It's like a it's like we, hat. We lose sight in relationships of the fact that you're one even though you're individual people, you guys the idea of a relationship always involves two people. Right. And the mm -hmm. hope is that if they're a loving relationship, they're one sort of unit, right? You're this machine trying to make something beautiful happen. And it's really important to never lose sight of the fact that you and whatever happens between you and a partner happens to both of you. It's really important to be on the same page. So when you say something like, oh, I'm sorry that you feel that way, we're invalidating how the other person feels, mm -hmm. right? We, it's almost like us saying, we don't care to understand what you're going through. That is your thing. You need to figure that out. I'm sorry that you feel that way. But me over here, I'm good, you know? It's as if to say that you're not at all taking accountability for any hurt or sadness that you may have caused in the conversation, right? Right. which is an unconscious response because if that fight or that argument exists, it's because of something that you both are sort of perpetuating and escalating. What I'm trying to say is that any sort of argument that happens it affects both of you equally, right or wrong. Mm -hmm. If she's upset and, and, and she's angry, that will negatively impact your relationship because she's the partner that you're with. Like she's a part of this sort of organism that you're creating. And yeah. just like you said, 100%. it can be seen as a half-hearted apology, which uh, sort of eliminates you from having to take responsibility. Yeah. You know? I mean, that's not an apology. And when you use, I'm sorry you feel that way in that way, like as a ruse for an apology, whenever you really are apologizing, it's a, it's a little um, less impactful, you know, because your words have memory, right? And and people take what you say and it stores in their long-term memory. And whenever they get a real apology, they're thinking like, oh yeah, this doesn't mean anything. And if somebody says that to you, if somebody says, I'm sorry that you feel that way, I mean, definitely think about why they're saying that. I mean, if that person really cares about you, they'll spend the time to try and understand how you feel. Like we, we both care and love for our partners. If my significant other happens to be upset or they're going through something, even angry, and it has something to do with me, if I love and care about them, but I also, if I love and care about myself, I'll want to know how I've contributed to her pain, mm -hmm. right? And I'll also want to know how she feels so that I could understand where she's coming from. So mm -hmm. that involves two people that actually care about each other. So if you have somebody that's just telling you, I'm sorry you feel that way, I would... If it's a early on sort of thing and you're dating somebody, I'd really think about that because they could be somebody that is, you know, largely inconsiderate of your feelings. Doesn't want to spend mm -hmm. the time to try and understand you. You should be on yeah. the same team. Yeah, absolutely. Right, what about next one, um, what about calm down or relax? Calm down or relax. <laughs> uh, I have a feeling. Uh, I have a feeling relax. that when someone tells you that, it makes you really mad. Oh. Yeah. That's. <laughs> I'm gonna do the opposite of relax whenever you tell me to relax. I'm just yeah. like. Hey. Yeah, Halloween kitty, for sure. It's like when you say relax, that's like saying you're in this place of peace and solid is in peace and bliss and completely unaffected by the fact that your partner's livid and pissed at you. 
Mm-hmm. And you're just trying to bring them down to your level, which I don't know. I don't think that's ever worked for anybody because there's nothing that makes a partner more upset than to know that their partner is completely unaffected by the fact that you're angry. So they're just dismissive and they're like, hey, hey, relax, relax, calm down. Relax. And, and you know, a lot of the times I think people say relax in a way where they're trying to be, um, give you a cue that it's not a big deal and, you yeah. know, that they're not upset. But the way that it can come across is making the other person feel like you think they're overreacting and right. that, you know, the intensity of their feelings is um, just a complete overreaction. So right. maybe instead of saying like, calm down or relax, um, just don't say anything. Just listen, listen to what they have to say um, and right. validate their feelings. You call me. Exactly. That's exactly what I would do. And if you're in that place mm-hmm. where you guys have that sort of connection, you could in like in a really gentle way, if they happen to be sort of worked up, allow them the space to communicate how they feel then they won't need to relax. They'll just naturally relax on their own. You won't need to tell them. You exactly. Know? You can even, you could, you, you, you want to give your partner the, you want to trust and, and, and empower your partner to, to work through their stuff and be there for them. They're going to solicit you for information because you're on the other half of that relationship. And you want to communicate how it is that you feel because the goal is so that she understands where you're coming from and that you both understand each other. And maybe at the mm-hmm. end of that, you both can sit down in lotus pose and just do some mindful breathing exercises together. And you both can calm your asses down together. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know, and I, I think that um, a good, it's a good technique for um, if you are remaining calm and the other person is losing their shit, um, as long as you remain calm, it, that seems to deescalate the situation. Somebody's not going to continue to act crazy if you're acting very calm. It's so, true. You don't it's need true. to say it. I mean, you just be the example. Yeah. I mean, there's two ways that you can go about it. Like when somebody is deliberately pretending to be calm just to spite you. Oh, that's, that's annoying. That's, that's, yeah. that's the one that's super annoying. That's the one that we're talking mm-hmm. about. People that are like, oh, you need to relax, right? The sort of <laughs> spiritual bypassing that we, we need to relax. You're being too dense and too callous right now. You need to get down to this sort of blissful level. Fuck that, right? <laughs> I'm talking about if you guys spend some time talking with each other. You know, and human beings are really adaptable creatures. You're absolutely right, Jen, because if you're talking to somebody and you're being receptive, you're saying affirming things to them, you're listening, their energy will naturally, naturally sort of come down and match with yours. And then you guys can make sweet, sweet love down by the fire. <laughs> with some Kenny G playing in the background. With some, with some Kenny G and his fucking saxophone and his curly some hair. Some romantic music. saxophone. <laughs> what is it? George Michael? Some some George Michael in the background? Oh my gosh. I have the funniest Kenny G story. Well, actually, it's it's not really that funny. It's just very awkward and it brings up a very awkward memory for me. So my my girlfriend growing up, we were maybe like in the fifth grade, if I had to guess. Um, and her mom was single. So, um, we were supposed to be at my house, but she forgot something. So we came back to her house and her mom went on a date. So, and she lived right down the street from me. So we just come barging in and she is literally on the floor with this dude in front of the fire and the Kenny G music is playing in the, the Kenny G music is playing in the background and I will forever be scarred from that moment. (laughs) They were making sweet, sweet love, Jen. (laughs) They were doing something. Oh, was it on a bearskin rug? It wasn't, but it, this was the 90s, so it was like, um, uh, you know, carpet everywhere. Oh, I'm trying to like create an image in my mind. Palette. It's on a bearskin rug. 
right? Yeah. There's like a little yes. fireplace right next door. There's yeah. like a guy like sitting in a rocking chair smoking out of a pipe. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, it's Christmas time. There's snow <laughs> in the windows. It's Christmas time. Yeah. There's like a little Christmas tree. And then you have this little couple just sitting on the floor making sweet, sweet love down by the fire. <laughs> and he turns yep. to her and he's like, I'll never hurt you, baby. You know what I mean? <laughs> and by then the way, you can't your, trust a guy your kid and her friend come barging in, <laughs> you know. In the middle of your only adult night in months. <laughs> they're like, oh my gosh, Candace, what are you doing? Like, ew, God, gross. Are oh, you guys gross. making out? Ew. Right? Something <laughs> something Candace is typically do. And it's like in it's like some it's like somebody else's house. It's not like theirs. Mm-hmm. Life's crazy. Okay. So this one is actually kind of a serious one, Jen. Um, and this is one that I've experienced before, which is threatening to end the relationship. E- yeah. I think you everybody's done that when they were young. You know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, this is one. a really big one, and it, it, it and I don't really follow Tony Robbins very much, mm-hmm. but I remember hearing a talk from him that he did a long time ago, and it was about relationships. I think Marion Williamson also said something to this effect too, which is you know, relationships are like a sacred container, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people that will call relationships that, but yeah. relationships are developed and created by a lot of trust between two people, mm-hmm. right? And so there's a foundation, that foundation that in relationships involves a great deal of trust. The trust is the strength, sort of the glue that holds everything together. It's what allows you to get away with certain things. It allows you to make mistakes. And you don't have to worry about losing your partner because mm-hmm. if you're on the same team, you understand that you're both human and you're trying to make something happen, right? And so relationships okay. are built on a foundation of trust and safety. So when you get into an argument with somebody and you threaten to end the relationship, even if you don't mean it, those words stick. Those words mm-hmm. stick with whoever it is that you're telling it to. It doesn't matter who it is. Those are th- words that are really difficult to forget when you hear right. them. Oh, and yeah. the trust that we have is what allows us to be vulnerable and share our hearts with somebody and feel safe in a relationship. When somebody threatens to end your relationship, that trust can so easily be broken and it mm-hmm. can lead to a bunch of other things, which is not feeling safe to communicate with your partner, not feeling not feeling confident that they even want to be with you. It can create insecurity in relationships, right? It may be, mm-hmm. it may lead to both partners being reluctant to share important like messages or feelings with each other. It just breeds a type of insecurity that can be really difficult to reverse once you get started, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm all for saying something if you really mean it. If you really feel like you want to, you know, you want to divorce and you need to speak up and this is like the last you know, the final straw. Um, and we really need to go to some counseling or do some work in this relationship or what have you. I think that that's okay. But whenever people use it, um, as a, uh, a way to bully the other person is unacceptable. Or create fear in them. Create fear. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you don't really mean it, don't say that. That's, uh, it's just, it's, unacceptable. Yeah. And there are some people out there that know that that is a soft spot for you, right? Mm -hmm. That, that fear you guys breaking up and they will see that and be like, okay, I can say this because I know it will make them upset. I know it will make them insecure. I I imagine more narcissistic type of people use it as a Mm -hmm. way to create insecurity in the people that we're with. And it's fucked up that they do that, right? So do not say those things if you don't mean them, you know, it can communicate to your partner that also at the same time that they're not worth fighting for and that the mm-hmm. relationship isn't valued for you to just, and you know, I wouldn't, I would imagine most argument type of situations are serious, mm-hmm. but when you throw in a threatening to break up a relationship over, I want to say something relative to, to, to spilled milk that shows that you don't really value 
the relationship, right? Because right. those are boundaries that you just do not cross. No, right? I 100% agree. Yeah. So this is like, it's a really important one, guys. I, I just want to stress that because I've been on the opposite side of this with mm-hmm. somebody that has threatened to end the relation, my relationship so many times. And the feeling that it produces in you, especially when you hear it for the first time over somebody that you really care about, it hits different. Oh, know? it sure does. It, and it triggers like all of those past abandonment issues that you had as a child and growing up. Right. And um, it's a, that's a huge trigger. It's a huge, a huge trigger. And it can, it, like you said, it, it can trigger so many different things. And from my experience, the people that typically do that, if they say it and they don't mean it, are people that are using it to manipulate other people. Yep. Right. Exactly. Because that thing is like planting a mind, like a, a mind bomb inside of your, in your mind. It's mm-hmm. creating, it's, it's planting this sort of seed inside of your, your gut that whenever you think of that, it creates a fear response inside of your body. And that fear mm-hmm. response creates anxiety in us, creates insecurity in us. It also creates doubt in ourselves. And that can keep us bound to toxic people. It can keep us bound to relationships that aren't healthy because then we don't feel like we're worth it enough. You know, yeah. we, don't, we don't feel loved. We don't feel lovable. So somebody says this to you and they don't mean it. If it's somebody that you care about, exercise a really strong boundary and tell them exactly what we're talking about. Like you do not cross that boundary unless you mean it. And if they mm-hmm. do threaten the relationship, and there are some people that have super strict boundaries. Some people will just end up leaving that person because they're fucking yeah. around in that way, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you think about backhanded and passive aggressive compliments? For example, you're so cute whenever you act dumb. I really hope that there aren't people out there that say that kind of shit, Jen. Oh, a hundred percent. Really? A hundred percent. I had a, I had a girl come to my house, um, for like a, a Valentine's day party that we were having. And, um, you know, she was, she was an acquaintance. She wasn't really a friend of mine. And, um, and she's looking around and she goes, wow, your house is actually kind of cute. And I was like, what the fuck does that mean? Did she like wave her, (laughs) did she like wave her head kind of back and forth with some attitude? Yeah. Yeah. She's like, this is actually kind of nice. Yeah. What, what does that mean? Does she have her like, (laughs) does she have like her little cigarette on her like little long sort of like fifties cigarette holder? (laughs) Like with like a mink, a mink, a mink, a mink jacket on, a minks jacket on. Yeah. And high heels and looking like everything is disgusting and dirty and she can't sit down anywhere. Like in like Mm -hmm. an Aubrey Hepburn type of accent. She's like, wow, your house is actually kind of nice. (laughs) You got to do a little. (laughs) She said that shit to you, Jen. How do you respond to something like that? Oh, you know, with people like that, there's, there's always an angle, right? And typically people say those passive aggressive type compliments because they feel like they're going to get away with them. They feel like you're not smart enough to catch on, or they can just say it and totally get away with it because it's uh, smothered in something nice. Oh, you know, it's like something mean smothered in something nice. Yeah. They They don't think you're intelligent enough to pick up on it. Yeah. Like, they think no, they're pulling 100%. a fast one on you, mm-hmm. but they don't know that Jen is a genius. <laughs> right. They don't understand. They don't know that Jen is a cognitive behavioral therapist of the mind and can pick up that <laughs> stuff real early. You know what I mean? No, you know, it's, uh, I, I've actually had people do this, um, in relationships. Like the example that was given is like, you're so cute whenever you act dumb. Like, <sighs> um, who, yeah. Who said that to you? Um, well, tell me that wasn't said a date. That, that specific thing to me, but I yeah. have had men in the past, um, 
say passive aggressive type compliments like that. And, uh, that's, that doesn't, that doesn't feel good. And it lets the other person know that you are trying to be mean and you know what, let's just be direct, you know, no, no sense of being passive aggressive. If you're unhappy about something, just say it. If you don't like something, just say it, you know, there, and there's a nice way to say things. You don't have to say something like in a passive aggressive manner. Yeah. This really irks me at work too. I can't stand it when people are passive aggressive at work. And like in relationships, this speaks to like a much larger issue, which is Mm -hmm. once the trust in your relationship is broken, there may be a series of arguments or, you know, somebody threatening to break up with you. Then you don't feel safe with sharing how you really feel with your partner. doesn't matter how direct it is. You don't feel safe with explaining to them how you feel out of fear that you'll be judged, that you'll be ridiculed, that Mm -hmm. your thoughts won't be valued. And so what do we do? We still have to be human. We still have to have our preferences. We still have to be who we are in our relationship. But the issue that we have is we don't have a healthy way of communicating that to our partner. So what do we do? We do, we do passive aggressive shit, right? Mm -hmm. Like we'll, we'll, we'll say things to skirt around how it is that we really feel instead of just being what you said, direct. I feel like people, uh, younger kids can get away with it. This is a perfect example of what that kid said to you when you went to the big wild show, right? Cause that was sort of mm-hmm. like a backhanded compliment, but you know, the kid didn't know any better. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's this, that's exactly what I was thinking of is she was trying to, what she was trying to say is, you know, um, wow, you know, you're older. I recognize that you're older and it's really cool that you're interested in things that I'm interested in, you know, that we have this common ground and we have something in common. Um, but you know, whenever you say that to somebody that's trying to preserve her youth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I get it. It's It's like somebody like coming up to you at a show and being like, isn't it past your bedtime? Right. Exactly. Like, oh, can I warm your bottle? Can I warm your bottle? Do you need me to change your diaper? Yeah. Yeah. Passive, passive aggression is, that's a, that's, that's one that I feel like everybody, every, every single person in the world does it in their relationships every once in a while. And there is not a human on the planet more passive aggressive than a Southern grandma. Oh, but shit. It's it's almost like they've paid their dues to be as callous and as passive aggressive as they want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those Southern grandmas, they don't. They don't mess around. No, you know? no. Like they uh, wake up at like 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning. They have the little poker, ma- the electronic poker machine in front of them. They're smoking their GPS, GPC cigarettes. They're watching the Andy Griffith show. They got like a little bird who sings to the Andy Griffith show theme song when it comes on. Those are some strong, mm-hmm. strong women. They're like bacon pies at like 5 a.m. in the morning. Oh, yeah. And uh, the Southern women that are very concerned about how you look. Oh, so yeah. you get the um, the hug where they kind of pat you down and feel your body and and you know kind of <laughs> kind of feel you up a little bit and then go size you oh, up. Oh, yeah. I guess you're having fun at college. You know, oh, like yeah. what the hell does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> like I yeah. put on a few extra a few pounds, pounds and you noticed. Thanks for the thanks for the feel me up hug and the passive oh, yeah. aggressive compliment. <laughs> yeah. Like you'll go and you'll get your lips done and you'll go to your Southern grandma and then she's just like straight up like, what did you do to your face? Yeah. Oh, oh no. That's just straight aggressive. That's not passive aggressive. <laughs> Don't yeah. like what happened. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Passive aggression. Uh-huh. Yeah. I totally, totally, totally. This, okay. There's another one, Jen. I hate it when. Ooh. You know, I like mean, when you're talking to them is, and you're just like, I hate it when you do this. Yeah. Hate is such a strong word. And yeah. you, you know, in any context that you use it, I hate you. I hate it when. 
you know, that's the best way, like we were talking about damaging the foundation of a relationship and chipping yeah. away at that emotional safety. I, I hate you. Use the word hate in any context and, and that's a surefire way to damage the foundation of your relationship. Yeah. Like they always tell you in relationships not to get too comfortable, right? Like mm-hmm. not to get too comfortable. And I think what people mean by that is like after a while we stop respecting our other per, our, our significant other's boundaries. We stop mm-hmm. We, we, we forget that they are an entirely different person that doesn't have to be with you, that is choosing to be with you. We just assume after a certain point when we get comfortable that they're just always going to be there. And so what that means yeah. is that we start paying less and less attention to the things that we say, right? right? We start paying less attention to the things that we say. And so we start getting used to unconscious behavior, unconscious communication, saying shit, passive aggressive, playing around. And when those boundaries aren't respected, and you get too comfortable, you you stop being mindful of the words that you say. And that's when you start saying crazy stuff like, oh, I hate it when you do this. I hate it when you do that. that it, it's, it's pretty much the same as saying you always do this or, you know, you never. Like really like conclusive statements that imply that this is who that person is. Like you hate mm-hmm. them, you yeah. know? So it's like, yep. I, I think we need to stop using phrases like I hate it when. And instead of, you know, foster the positive elements of your relationship and build from what your partner does right. And this can only happen if you really care about each other, right? If you're in a relationship with somebody that you're, you're saying you hate it when more often than not, if you were in a toxic relationship, develop enough courage to end it when you know that it needs to be ended. Cause I noticed that the people that tend to like fall into this habit of always saying these type of things are almost blaming the other person that they're not happy. And it's like, yeah. if you're not happy with your partner, just end the relationship. Right. Move on. Meet somebody else that you will be happy with. You know, or be but by yourself. A, it's a crazy thing is that it's, it's, and I've been through this before. I know what this is like. You know, there's some people that don't want to give up on a relationship, even if it's toxic. Mm-hmm. We love this idea of something going right, especially if it's somebody you're really attracted to. Like if you've, if you've ever met somebody you're really, oh. really attracted to. Oh man. You overlook yeah. a lot of crazy shit oh, about man. them. I have been digmatized before. I'll tell you. Yeah. Hypnotized by the dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh, Jen. And then, you know, you overlook all of these red flags and terrible qualities in a person because the, the sex is good or, you know, they're really attractive or, you know, whatever, whatever earthbound emotions you're having. And, you know, it's not worth it. It's It's not worth worth it. it. Or you're just, you're, 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 you're romanticizing the beginning of your relationship. Say you're with somebody toxic. I don't need to say this because I've been with toxic people before, you know, they call that whole love bomb phase at the very beginning. Yeah. Or the whole future faking thing has happened and you're, you get to experience this period of time at the very beginning of your relationship where it's perfect and you can envision your life with this person. They're the most attractive person. They're, they're perfect. And then all of a sudden that whole thing sort of turns sour and goes south and you could beat yourself into oblivion by trying to recreate that with somebody that doesn't have the capability to sustain that. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the romanticizing of that beginning stage of your relationship or the idea, even the idea of somebody changing, you can spend and waste a lot of years of your life chasing after a ghost pretty much. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? So it's like, it's important. It's important that if you are in a toxic situation to pull yourself out of it and have enough courage to end it and really understanding that there's nothing that you can do overlooking how they look and focus on whether or not you're being served and you're happy in the relationship, you know, stuff like that. That's for sure. You know, I have one that is not um, a negative phrase. It's actually a positive phrase. So let's talk about this one. I can't live without you. Yikes. 
So to me, this doesn't sound romantic at all. This sounds like a mental health red flag and it just goes off in my mind. Danger, danger, danger. This person is, yeah, is codependent and needy and has an unhealthy attachment to you. (laughs) I can't live without you. Unless you're with like a a Libra type like me, for example, (laughs) and you're both on the same vibe when it comes to, you know, wanting to have a relationship like Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet and Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, or maybe like Robin Williams and his partner in What Dreams May Come, or even like The Notebook, you know? If you're striving for that sort of romantic story in your mind, you could in like a very casual, sincere way when you're laying down with your partner right as the sun's starting to come up through the blinds and you guys stayed up all night having sex, you can turn Mm -hmm. to them while you're cuddling and whisper into their ear, I can't live without you. I can't live without you. Yuck. See, that's, that's fucking beautiful, Jen. No, That's don't beautiful. say that to me ever. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? So you're saying if you were cuddling with your partner and you guys, you know, you guys like spent like a nice evening and you're just sort of rolling around in the sheets and you got the little the sun peeking through the blinds and they were cuddling with you and they were like, Jen, I can't live without you. Oof, you wouldn't find no. some, some little romance I, in that? That would immediately make me feel like, uh-oh, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Oh. Now I'm like stuck with this person forever. What happens (laughs) if things don't go well? Like, oh no. Not even um, if it's not even in the delivery. You're just saying the words are just completely off limits. No, no. The words are completely off limits. And um, especially if you're with an an Aquarius, it will make them Uh feel very uncomfortable. And like a caged animal, you don't want to do that. Yeah. I guess at the very core in, you know, I got to like take myself out of the clouds a little bit if we're living... Yeah. On the earth with a bunch of people. I can see why it can be something that would be frowned upon. It's to say <laughs> that you cannot live your own life without another person. So that's speaking to your codependency towards them. Mm-hmm. Like right. you can't be your own person. You can't even develop enough courage to be on your own without this other person. I mean, what does that say about you? Right? Right. It says that you are deriving your happiness from other people and not from yourself. And yeah. that is a dangerous place to be. And also I yeah, think but- like I can't live without you. Um, in the context of, you know, maybe an argument, you know, and you're arguing and somebody desperately says, I can't live without you, um, raises like, a, you know, self-harm flag with me. Right. That's you know? true. That's yeah. true. It depends on who you're with. But if someone to say that during that point, yeah, that's like, uh, I can see why it can be looked at that way. But you know what, Jen, yeah. I can dream. Because in the, the sort of romantic world of a Libra, there's a bed, there are sheets, there's a sunrise, there's a golden hour. There's those like little tiny moments between, I want to say 5 and 6 a.m. when everything's really still and you're listening to soft Kenny G on the radio or on your mm-hmm. on, on, an, on your CD player because it's mm. the only way that you could listen to Kenny G is on your CD player. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so there is tape. a couple somewhere whispering into their, their, each other's ear being like, I can't live without you. Mm-hmm. So, Yuck. Oh man, it took me down. It took me to a really beautiful place, Jen. All right. So <laughs> another one, which is stop. Pre- I was going to say get over it. You're too sensitive. But I think that you said one that was actually very similar to that. Mm-hmm. I think you said one's very similar. So this one is uh, stop projecting your negativity onto me. Oh my gosh. Was- That's such a Gen Z thing to say. And I had to bring that one in there. Oh my gosh. I had to bring it in because this is like a... This is one of the things I made a video about recently. I haven't posted it yet about spiritual bypassing. This is one of those things I make get on my goddamn nerves, Jen. 
spiritual bypassing, <laughs> sort of like holier than thou mentality, you know, yes, like I you can't stand it. Yeah. You went to your, you went to your yoga class and you had your little nice little savasana and you're able to get yourself in the meditative state and you come home and then your partner happens to be in a bad mood and you're like, Hey, Hey, don't kill my vibe. Don't, don't kill, kill relax, vibe. relax, <laughs> you know? It's like that that sort of thing. So if somebody is like talking, happens to be your partner, and you're sharing some really intense emotions, let's just say, put it this way, like as an example, like you're home and your partner comes home and they happen to be in a really pissy mood. or They happen to be really upset. And sometimes that happens. When that happens to me and uh, my partner happens to be upset, I care about how she feels. If she happens to have had a bad day, I want to listen to what she has to say because I care about her. And my goal isn't to right. fix her problems. My goal is to listen but I also want to create a safe environment so she can come down from that energy herself and revisit me in a softer, more vulnerable space, right? So the opposite of this would be is somebody that maybe doesn't really care about their partner or what they have to say, and they respond with something like, stop projecting your negativity onto me, peasant. <laughs> they might as well say that oh, at the end, they peasant. <laughs> <laughs> oh right? my gosh. Many people in the community are a bit sensitive about taking even small amounts of negativity, even from their partners, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. right? They are so sensitive and that's fine because, you know, it, it, it tends to attract a lot of empathic types, but we go through this sort of growing period because I feel like everybody at the beginning of their journey, especially in spirituality, goes through this. We get to experience this mystical bliss at least once, whether or not it be through meditation or mystical experiences. We want to try and preserve that at all costs, like every single right. day. But it becomes an idea at some point. And when it becomes an idea, we lose sight of the fact that reality is still happening. And at some point, the idea of wanting to be happy all the time supersedes the reality that things just aren't that way all the time, right? And so we end up creating this sort of narrative that wants to control everything around us. And that involves undermining other people, making demeaning comments, putting other people down. And that just, mm -hmm. that's not, that's not good vibes. So in your effort to try and create this good vibe space, you end up creating even worse vibes for yourself and for other people. <laughs> and for other people. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's like relationships aren't about being positive and, positive and happy all the time. They're about creating a safe space where you and your partner can be authentic and real and explore a safe space with each other and feel safe to be who you want to be, whether or not to be happy or angry or sad. Because when we say, or we, when we ask our partners to stop projecting on us, we completely discount the deeper meaning in their feelings. So this comes back to something that we've been talking about, which is like you're communicating to them that you're on this vibe and they're over here, not where you are, completely divisive, completely polarizing, and you're not playing on the same team. So when someone comes exactly up to you and they're like, stop means. projecting your negative, negative negativity onto me, you just respond yeah. to them and be like, shut the fuck up. <laughs> or you can just say, sit down. Sit down. <laughs> Go <laughs> to don't, bed. don't say that. Yeah, right? Go to bed, you're drunk. <laughs> Something like that. It's like, go, go home, Eric, you're drunk. Oh my God. You know what? We should have added that to the list, Jen. That should have been one of those common phrases to not say, go home, you're drunk. <laughs> Imagine. What would you do if someone oh said that shit God. to you? I don't know. I'd probably find it really funny. Then I'd be I, like, oh, yeah. I'm very self-aware when I'm drunk and I know that I'm too drunk and I'll send myself <laughs> home and I'll just say, really? you know, I'm going to put myself to bed. I'm too drunk. <laughs> uh, go home, yeah, Jen, nothing, you're drunk. Yeah, nothing good comes of that. 
That's for so sure. So when you get it, you more or less know that you, you probably need to go home because you're drunk, right? Oh, yeah. It's one of those yes. things. I get it. Yeah. I get it. What, what else you get? What else you got? That's it. Anything else? That's all. Okay. okay. All, all right. So I have, uh, yeah. I'll go over one more, which, you know what? I feel like we might have touched on this one. The I am, the, the, I'm sorry, but. Uh, yeah, we kind of touched on it. We, we kind of combined did, it right? with I, I'm sorry and something else. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry you feel that way. I'm sorry that you feel that way. And then there was one more that I had, Okay, you know, which is why, why did you question mark or even you should, or even you should, right? Beginning, beginning phrases with you should communicates to the partner that they're, they're not doing something that you think that they should be doing, right? It's sort of, in some ways it kind of, we're going to talk about this on just a little bit. It creates a sort of power differential between partners and it can eventually, at least from my perspective, make someone feel like they don't do enough or what they do isn't appreciated. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. It's almost like a parental type of behavior, which is like, yeah, you should be that's doing exactly this. exactly what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I mean, we don't want to feel like we're with our parents. I mean, that's a major turnoff, right? It's yeah. when you're like trying to parent somebody and be like, hey, you should do this. You should do that. And it's also also proclaiming that like they don't know any better and that you need right. to teach them. And that, that just starts role confusion, right? Like whenever you start right. acting like someone's parent and you're trying to reparent them, Actually, I was talking to, um, God, who was I talking to about this, about being in a relationship where you take, um, take on that role of trying to reparent someone and, um, how damaging that is to the relationship. Yeah. Caregiver relationship, right? Yeah. Where you're having to pay like their mother, you know, I know there's that whole sort of theory, I think in, in, uh, therapy, which is like, we're all inadvertently or unconsciously looking for partners that are like our parent or maybe even the parent that wasn't available in our life. But you don't want to be with someone that treats you that way. Or you also, yeah, you, I'm no, sorry, you don't want to be with somebody where you have to end up being the parent for them. No, you know? of course not. That's not sexy. You don't want to have sex with your parents, you know. And whenever That's you start, true. yeah, whenever you start taking on the role where you know you were acting like a parent, then you know that person starts to feel like a child to you. And then yeah, it starts to feel like work, and it starts to feel like oh, you know, I've got to teach this person and watch everything that they do and double check everything and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Sucks all of the romance out of the relationship. It sounds like a, almost like a, an energy of control too. When someone's like, oh, you yeah. should do this. You're like persuading oh, sure. them to do things, mm-hmm. you know? There's a whole lot of, uh, I guess, ways that you can, I guess in the same way that you wouldn't want to be with like a guy that gives you more friend vibes because that would be like being with like a, your friend or your, like your sister or your brother, yeah. a person that gives you like sister sibling vibes. You know what I mean? Right. You want to be somebody's parent. If you want, if you end up being somebody's parent, that person isn't ready for a relationship. They need, That's for sure. they need, uh, they need to move back in with their parents so they can be properly taught. Behave, <laughs> right. Okay. Yes. So just going back into this one, I know we talked about a lot of phrases that we shouldn't talk about, but I'd like to just kind of briefly go into phrases that we should use in relationships. Right? Okay. And this is a practice. I tend to, try and create a growth mentality, growth mindset when it comes to these things, which is don't focus on the negative. Like you could, it doesn't matter how healthy your relationship is. If you're focused on the negative, you can always find a million and one things mm-hmm. that are negative about your relationship. Oh yeah. And why? Because you're human beings, right? Mm-hmm. Every relationship has them. So there's no shortages of those and they'll never, ever be. So if you want to go down that path of just focusing on the negative, trust me, you'll find it. And you can torture each other with that until the cows come home. You like that? Until the cows come yep. home, a little southern, southern thing? Yeah. Okay. 
But the way that I kind of look at it is a growth mindset, which is instead of focusing on the negative, focus on the things that go right in your relationship, the things that you yeah. like about the person, the things that you love about your relationship. And phrases like this, I feel, right, when you're speaking to somebody, mm-hmm. I, feel I feel like you're being this way. You're not being accusatory. You're not pl- placing blame. You're not telling them that they're being this way or that way. When you say, I feel, it's reinforcing that this is how you feel. These are your thoughts and your opinions about their behavior. So it's non-combative. It's non-violent communication. So when you're having a conversation, say, I feel, I feel hurt right now. Like I feel this, this way, that way. So try that. I feel, and then I like it when. It's like, hey, you know, I like, I like it, it when, when you take out one. the trash. You know, yeah. I like when you light the nog champa before I come home from work. You know what I mean? Oh, that's nice. Yeah. It's like, I like when you palisantos our bedroom before we make love, you know? Mm. It's like, I like when you water my monstera plants for me on the days when you know that like I'm going to be at work late or something like that. Like that. So like, like that. focusing on the things. And if you do this enough, if you, if you say these affirming things to your partner like enough, it just sort of cultivates this like really positive and good vibe, good feeling type of energy, you know, it does. It makes you feel good. You know, and saying thank you, you know, uh, showing appreciation for small things. So uh, that's a love language thing too, right? You know, my love language is acts of service. So when Jeremy occasionally does the dishes, I say thank you to reinforce that good behavior and show appreciation. Like I noticed that you did this and thank you. Yeah. You're like, Hey, thanks. Thank you is definitely an important one. One that I think is one of the, probably the most important is a perspective to always keep. Because when we're in, uh, let's just say, heated exchanges with somebody else, it's easy to fall into the you versus me mentality, right? Oh, me time. versus you. It's really important to understand that you are a we and not a me or a you, right? So mm-hmm. use when I have conversations with my significant other, I always try and use we. Like, what, what can we do? What do you think that we should do about this? right? You're being inclusive. You're letting them know that like, hey, there's me and you as a we, and there's this love thing that we're both trying to nurture together, right? So never losing sight of the, the we so that you don't fall into the you or me. There's this, right. uh, there's this quote by uh, Trevor Hall, good old Trevor Hall, a really amazing artist. He has this um, lyric and he says, I am I, you are you, you are me, we are we, family on the road to unity, right? Ooh. I am I, you nice. are you, you are me, we are we. It's a nice little little mantra. So always like always that. see your partner in you as a we. You can be individuals. Yeah. You can be your own person. But when it comes to like the real hard hitting crazy arguments and shit like that, mm-hmm. never lose sight of the fact that you guys are a we. And anything that happens between me, everything that happens between you and them happens to both of you guys. There are no winners in arguments. Agreed. You know, and if there's a winner, you automatically are a loser. You know, both <laughs> of you. You automatically lose. It's not about being right. It's about understanding each person and the role in the situation. Mm-hmm. Right? And if you care about your partner, if you love them, you will take the time to understand them. And if you find yourself not caring about somebody enough to do the work and, and wanting to understand them, you just got to close that chapter and move on. Find somebody that will spend the time to want to understand you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I certainly do. So my final thoughts on this one here is uh, build, don't tear down. Right? I like build that. and don't tear down. It's so easy to tear down a relationship. You can tear it down in a matter of 20 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. You can be with somebody for like five or six years and you can have worked carelessly on building a relationship. And that's difficult. That's difficult to do to build that trust over time. But you can tear down your relationship in like 20 minutes. You can completely destroy that entire thing within minutes 
if you allow it to. Oh, yeah. So always remembering that. You always want to build the relationship, not tear it down. And, right? you know, build it on a solid foundation too. You know, uh, trying to build a house on sand is not going to work. So no. if there are already major problems in the relationship early on, you're going to have a very, very hard time building a stable house when the foundation isn't there. Yeah, that's why you got to be really honest with yourself with yourself in the beginning about That's whether right. or not you really feel like you can be with this person by reading all the cues and seeing whether or not they respect your boundaries. Because you know what? People will go to great lengths to change another person that they don't really like very much or they have issues right. with them. And they will stay in a relationship that is toxic in some crazy hope that they can change them. You can spend a lot of time spinning your wheels doing that, but it could also lead to a lot of toxic behavior because we can try and change that. We can try and change that person and fail and then ridicule them for not being who we want them to be. Right. Yeah. It's like you're you're taking it out on your partner <laughs> that they can't be the person that you want them to be. That is some crazy toxic stuff. You don't want to get involved in that sort of thing. So it's like it takes a lot of courage to be honest with yourself and how you feel, especially if somebody's really attractive. But you have to care more about <laughs> yourself than you do about somebody that's attractive if you don't yeah. want to find yourself in these types of situations, you know? That's for sure. That is for sure. You want to, you want to find yourself in a relationship where you feel accepted but you don't want to change them. You want to be in a relationship where you feel like you, that they're okay, that they, they, they have enough willpower and strength to overcome you know, their own obstacles and to contribute to your relationship and be with somebody that you can appreciate, you know, not somebody that you feel a need to possess or uh, you know, feel a need to try and change in some way. Yeah, change, control, and, uh, parent, manipulate, all of those things. And I think the moral of the story for me is always stay conscious and be mindful of the words that you say. That's what mm -hmm. this whole thing I think is about right? This yep. starts with the words that we say to ourselves too. Because if we talk to our partners in this way, chances are we have the same narrative going on in our minds about how we talk to ourselves too, mm -hmm. right? If we're okay with talking to somebody that way, we're probably talk comfortable with telling crazy shit like that to ourselves as well. Oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough, you know? And mm -hmm. what we project is a clear indication of how we also communicate to ourselves. So it reminds me of um, something that I heard a long time ago, which is something that I always try and remember when it comes to this sort of thing, which is be careful of the thoughts that you think because you are listening. That's right. And then there's another thing that I used to use in my sound baths all the time whenever I used to close out the space after my sound bath, I would always say, only speak when your words are more beautiful than silence. Mm -hmm. Do not speak unless your words can help and are meaningful, right? Because you can mm -hmm. still communicate anger and, 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 and sadness and fear without hurting another person. Yeah, I think there's you know? a lot of people on Twitter that need to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Twitter, Jen. It's, it's madness. It is madness. That is an entirely different ecosystem of anger and hate and just oh, wild God. emotions, you know? It is like spinning around in toilet water. It is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I hate, there's something I hate Twitter. There's something about that too. It's like where where did people where did people create, like come up with the sudden courage to just say things that are mean just for the sake of saying them? Oh, I've yeah. thought a lot about this too, which is that you know because we live in the digital age, everybody's become sort of an armchair warrior, which means that they don't have to confront the person face to face. Mm -hmm. And the way that I grew up is that you wouldn't you don't say something mean to somebody like something that you wouldn't say to your parents. But people are like, mm -hmm. I'll never see this person in my life. I'll never meet them before. I'll never have to come face to face. I'm just going to unload and say a bunch of really, really crazy shit to this person that I don't know. And there's just something right. really responsible and sad about that. Super sad. 
You know, super sad. Like, uh, imagine how much bullying bullying goes on with that. But I want to end it. I want to end it on a good note, Jen. Focus yeah, on what you on love. Yeah. Focus on what you love about the other person. Right. Focus on what you love about each other and build from there. We can find a million things to not like about somebody because people are not perfect. But when we focus on what we love about the relationship, we give our relationship the opportunity to grow through what makes our relationship strong. Right. That's right. Yeah. It's just yes. like manifesting. You know, whenever you are focused on the negative, only more negative presents itself, you know? So if you focus on the positive things, then more positive things will present themselves. Right. Exactly. It's all the mindset, you know? Like, first of all, you have to, you have to first really care about your partner. You have to really love them. You know, you guys gotta, guys, you guys gotta be on the same team. You guys gotta be on the same team. Not just be Mm -hmm. in a relationship with someone that like you kind of like but kind of don't like at the same time, but kind of like, but kind of don't like at the same time. You know, you got to go all in or you don't do it. Life's too short. Yeah. Anything that's worth doing. You really like. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) This is what Tom Hanks said in a league of their own. He says, anything that's worth doing is worth doing. Right. Right. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you guys for tuning in to Binodies podcast. Thank you for joining us. This was an interesting one. It has me thinking about the things that I've said in the past things that I definitely still need to work on and uh, areas of improvement, of course, because the relationships are a practice. So we're hoping that you guys were able to take something good from this, but yeah, thank you guys for tuning in. If you have any questions, you can reach out to us, of course, on Instagram. That's where we're at most of the time. Send us uh, topic recommendations. We'd always like to hear them. You could also watch the videos on YouTube, like, and subscribe, leave a comment. We saw some people leaving some comments with some really good stuff. We had a, a topic recommendation the other day. We might end up putting that one on a, a podcast soon. And uh, if you guys are on Apple Podcasts, feel free to leave a review. Let us know how we're doing. Until then, we'll talk to you. Talk to you next time, friends. Namaste. Namaste.